take your Bibles and go to First um, Thessalonians chapter two. I had a um, an opportunity a number of years ago. I, I'll call it an opportunity because that's what it was said to me, or the way it was said to me. But it was one of those meetings where you go in and you sit down with somebody, and if I just boil an hour's worth of meeting down into one statement, it was this one. This person said to me in no uncertain terms, if you will give me some of your money, I will make sure that you have something to show for it later. Now that's called, depending on who you are, some people call that an investment opportunity. Others call it a scam. You can take your pick, whatever, but there are those things where you have the opportunity to invest in something, that is to give something of value into a situation or a thing uh, and the promise is that you get more back. So I want you to look around, okay? I know that a lot of people in church are nosy, and so I'm going to give you a chance to be nosy and look around here, okay? Look at all of the weird people. No, they don't have any weird people here. So look at, look at how there's not any weird people in this building. I, I really do want you to look around a little bit and catch some faces, all right? Many of these people you're probably not going to know. Some of them you might. Some of them you're going to go, I never knew they came to our church. All right, so here's what I want you to see now as you're looking around and you're seeing the faces of people. What you're seeing there are investment opportunities for you. Now, that is a little bit foreign, that concept is, for a lot of church people. Because we don't really necessarily think about going to church and having the opportunity to invest ourselves in people. Now, normally when people in a church hear a preacher talking about an investment opportunity, they're grabbing their wallet. They're thinking, here he goes, diving into my pocket again. That's not what this is about. As a matter of fact, this sermon is not about money at all, but it is about an investment opportunity that surpasses any you could ever hear on money. Because the supreme privilege that we have as a church is to invest ourselves in each other. Now, if you're not too sure about that, and I know that there are a lot who aren't, we live in an age when church is more about consumer orientation. It's more about, okay, what are you going to do for me? I hear from time to time people talking about, now they don't ever say it to my face, they usually are saying it about some other church somewhere. Uh, you know, I just don't get fed there. I like what one preacher said, and I'm going to just throw it back out there. If you want to be fed... Go to a restaurant, okay? Because what we're doing here is more than just about somebody feeding you. First of all, you have the opportunity. No, that's not strong enough. You have the obligation to feed yourself in Scripture. So if you're not doing that and you're looking for me or your Sunday school teacher or somebody like that to do that for you, you're already a little bit off balance, now, I will go on to say that if you're part of a church, including this one, and the pastor doesn't feed uh, from Scripture, then something's wrong with that guy. And, you know, maybe he needs to get his business together. And if that's me, then so be it. Look at your Scriptures now, and let's look at this passage. We're, we're actually, uh, before I do that, I, I do want to say this. We're now in the final installment of a series that I've been preaching as we go into the new church year. We go into these big discussions about big projects. It is crucial for us that we understand and hold to and are dedicated to accomplishing our purpose as a church. It is so easy for us in our church functioning to get 
so much in the business of church work that we fail to accomplish what we're about in the first place. And so what I've been doing now for five weeks is stepping back from the normal preaching stuff. And I've gone to our constitution and taken these five big statements that we have that say this is what we're about. And I'm doing that because we need to have that reminder as we go into a new year. We're putting all kinds of programs and all kinds of stuff together. And we're planning. Why are we doing it? Number five, we quote our purpose to be the enhancement of Christian fellowship among believers. The bumper sticker uh, tag that we put on that so that we can remember it more easily is we are about encouraging the saints. We have another way of saying that here, okay? Now, here's where that other part of your menu comes in. Take your bulletin there and look on the front page. And every once in a while, I like to do this because I know that we have at least one Sunday school teacher in our adult area that does this every week or used to. So I don't want to get left behind. And so uh, on the front page of the bulletin, underneath the masthead there, you'll find this statement. Crestwood, a connected community. I'm going to just stop there. Okay, there's much more to the vision statement. But that's what this sermon is about. As a church... We quote our purpose to be encouraging the saints. In other words, one of the things about which we build everything we do, the destination to which we are sailing as a church, involves being a connected community. That sounds good. It's easy to say. But what does it look like? In this passage that we're about to look at today, Paul gives us some personal reflections. Now, Aaron's already done a great job in setting the table for us in the relationship stuff, or at least for a discussion about the relationship stuff between Paul and these Thessalonian Christians. It was a church that was born out of Paul being on the run. Paul gets to Thessalonica, as Aaron reminded us, and he sets in, he builds this church for three weeks, it says, at three different Sabbaths. He goes in, and he's talking about Jesus as the Messiah, and some of those Jews go, that sounds great. And some of the other Jews sound or say, that sounds like heresy. And so they get run out of town again. All of that comes together as we come to this And in this passage, from chapter 2, verse 17, through chapter 3, verse 12, I find four principles that we can draw from Paul's life that help us to understand what it means to be connected, or at least what it looks like. Now, in case you're freaking out, because I just gave you several reasons to freak out. Some of you know how I preach, and so to take that many verses in this amount of time, what does that say? It says it's 1045. I got an hour and 15 minutes. That's good. Everybody's checking the clock. According to that, I've got about 15 minutes. So 30 minutes from now when I finish. (laughs) Some of you are also freaking out because I said four principles, which usually is eight weeks worth of preaching, right? So let me do this, okay? I know that I'm short on time. I'm going to try to get all of them out there. may not get all of them out there, but a couple of them. I'm going to lean on pretty hard, okay? So even if we just get one principle out of this, I think it'll give us enough to work with that as we go forward and say, okay, if that's what we're going to do, we're going to be about building the fellowship, the connectedness, the community that is this faith group of people. How do we do that? Here's the first one. Investment produces connected. 
again, back to what Aaron was telling us earlier, we know that Paul started this church in Thessalonica, made up of a bunch of Jewish people, at first at least, and he reaches into that community, and Paul goes to that community as a rule, and the way he did his missionary work, because they were his people. He was a Jew, and he was one who would be very comfortable in a synagogue setting, and so he goes in there with those Jewish people, and he begins... Okay, now I'm going to use my terminology now. He begins to invest himself in them for the cause of Christ. Let me just stop and let that statement hover for a little bit. Because the reality is, and I'm going back now, this is four sermons worth of stuff coming to a head here in this purpose series. But the reality is that every part of your life is called to be an investment in people for the cause of Christ. Every relationship you have is the opportunity to invest in somebody for the cause of Christ. I didn't expect any amens there. Because that's the one that shakes us out of, well, I just kind of float into church on Sunday and do my church thing. And then the rest of the week, I'm, I'm the real me. Or the frustrated Christian because he can't seem to pull the Christian life together on this ongoing deal. Let me just leave the standard out there. Every relationship you have is the opportunity to invest in somebody for the cause of Christ. Now with that in mind, let's look at verse 17. Because I, I want you to get, as I work through some of this passage, I want you to get the depth of the... Well, I want to say emotion, but I don't think that's the right word here. It's the depth of the passion that Paul has for these people. Chapter 2, verse 17. He says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person and not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, we could, or when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith. That no one be moved by these, that is Paul's own afflictions or their own afflictions, for you yourselves know, so I got a bad page turn here, that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Now, I could continue reading. I'm not going to do that because now I'm going to pick and choose verses as we go through. I wanted you to get the flow of what Paul is saying in this little section. It's one of those times where Paul peels back the covers of his interconnectedness with his people. It's a great thing to see because we often see Paul as he goes after those people. Especially the ones who are making accusations against him and those kind of things. We see Paul the scholar, Paul the Pharisee, Paul the one who has been saved by Christ, Paul the ambassador for Christ. And many times he just gets flat out up in their faces. But sometimes like this, Paul slows it down and he peels back the surface and reveals his beating heart for these people. 
Verse 17 especially underscores this principle for us. Investment produces connected. The English really is not strong enough for us here. You may have a translation that tries to capture the original word here. It says in my translation, the English Standard Version, but since we were torn away from you, Actually, the word there, if we want to pull it in a much more literal kind of interpretation, Paul says, we were being orphaned from you. That's a rich term. Uh, let, me, let me set the stage for it here to help you see why it's so important that we get that thrust of this in this passage. In chapter 2, we find Paul, as he continues a discussion with these people, These ones to whom he had gone and invested himself and this church was born there. And then they started facing these accusations. One of my favorite passages in all of the Bible is the one that Aaron read this morning from those people in Thessalonica. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also under God. Wouldn't it be awesome if Beaumont said that about you as you went to work tomorrow? Four times in chapter 2, Paul refers to his listeners, his readers, as brothers. At another place in chapter 2, he talks about himself and he uses a phrase, like a nursing mother. And so the picture that he gives them is now he's brother, but now then he turns and he says that that metaphor that he wants them to get is I, I as the one who was Looking after you was was just like a mother as she's taking care of her child and nursing that baby. And every part of her is invested in that baby to make sure that the progress in life happens the way it's supposed to. We have a picture of investment. And Paul loves these people. And so he goes to the most intimate kind of picture that he can think of in a healthy sense. And that is this family picture where he says, I'm all in with you. And then a little bit later in verse 11, he shifts the metaphor again. It's still family, but now in verse 11 of chapter 2, he says, For you know how like a father with his children. Then he finishes his thought. Now the picture is of the patriarch who deals with his children, who raises them up, who sees to it that they learn the things they need to in life, who understands that the discipline that comes from a father's hand is grounded in love. Paul paints this picture. He's a master with words, Paul is. And so he's painted this picture of a family relationship. And then we get to this verse. After all of that stuff about nursing mother and father and brothers. And now he flips it totally. And he's now the one who's left out. Like an orphan He says, I have been orphaned from you. You know, my wife changed jobs a while back. She finally got out of prison. (laughs) And she works in an industry. I I really don't like the term there because I don't think it fits exactly. She works in an environment, that's better, that deals with that part of our society of kids who are somehow left without parents. Whether the parents are still there and just not responsible and can't handle the children or whether the kids are just left out. But she works in this environment now that deals with the most needy of our society. Can you imagine 
what it would be like to all of a sudden be left alone in this world. Some of you don't have to think too hard about that. You wandered in here today and you feel like you have nobody. That's the picture. That's the feeling that Paul lays out for us here. He talks about these people and he's invested himself in them. And all of a sudden he says, and now it's like I've been orphaned. That's a strong, picturesque kind of way of saying. When I'm not with you, something's just not right. That's family language. It's the kind of language now that I want to draw us into this principle that we're talking about. Investment produces connected. The reason Paul felt this way about them is because he had poured himself into them. As Aaron reminded us, he set up shop. He rubbed shoulders with them. He worked with them, lived his life with them. And in the process of doing that, somehow their hearts became knit together. That's why Paul says here, he said, it, it was, we're, we're torn apart. I'm orphaned from you. And then he qualifies that. He says, now I'm talking face to face. My heart, well, my heart's still with you. How is it with you and church people? You know that we live in a society in the time when people kind of wander into church and wander out. I, I have to tell you, I, I sort of get that. I'll talk more about this in a little bit if I have time. I, I kind of sort of get that because some church people are just mean. Have you noticed that? Now, not all of us. I'm not mean. I'm not sure about you, but I'm not mean. Well, I can be mean. Well, I'll get to that in a minute too. What I want you to see from this is this connectedness that he's talking about is very much a family thing. Yesterday, I I said it this way to the other service. Uh, Teresa had, um, Teresa has a habit, a, one of those abuse kind of habits, right? Occasionally, she needs a grandbaby fix. And it's one of those driving hungers for her. And when she needs a grandbaby fix, I've figured out the best thing that I can do is get that fix made and set up for her. Okay? So yesterday we did that. We had work day around here in the morning. And when that was all said and done, Teresa and I loaded up and we headed over to the Conroe area um, so that she could see our granddaughter. Now, here's the problem with going to see our granddaughter. Almost always we also have to see her daddy. Now, that's our son. Okay, and uh, you know he moved out of the house a long time ago. It's a good thing for him to do. He was he needed to be out on his own. He's married, got this baby, and so we go over to his house. I love him, by the way. Y- y'all know him. He's come to church here. Uh, so, uh, so we go to Brandon's house, and Crystal's at work, and um, we go in. And there's something about our relationship with Brandon. Now, I love this guy. I'm telling you, he's smart and. Uh, you know, and yet he loves me anyway. And so I, I can go in and I can sit down with him on the couch as we did yesterday. Walked in and hadn't talked to him necessarily, you know, other than maybe a here or there on a text message or something in several weeks. And yet I can sit down with him and I can pick up a conversation and we're just right into it. It's like nothing ever changed that we were never separated. Now, what happens, and that happened yesterday, so we sit down, and, and that's part of that deal because we have so many years together, that part of connectedness is just natural. We call that family. Now, here's part of the problem. Whenever we go and have grandbaby fix over there, uh, that means that I get to buy supper. 
somehow for everybody. And so yesterday, so now we got this new problem developing because Lauren lives over there and this guy, whatever his name is, he got married to her. Um, and so they find out that we're coming over there and guess what? Oh, well, we're going to come over too so you can buy our supper as well. So <laughs> if I knew you liked it that much, I'd have invited you too. would have been great. So we sit down and we're sitting there. Well, here comes Lauren and John. Now, Lauren has the same deal that I have with Lauren, um, that, that I have with Brandon and I have with Lauren. The same deal, okay? We've watched them grow up. They've been part of our lives. We've invested in them. Yes? So when Lauren walks in, it's like nothing ever changed. It's like she still lives in the other room at our house, okay? That's the connection point we have. But now she's got this guy that comes with her everywhere she goes. I don't know him like that, Okay? And so in my dealings with John, there's still that kind of sense of, okay, we got to fill this out, okay? And I, there's still parts of me that I'm not sure, not many, I'll just tell you, we're working on it. We're investing in each other. I love the guy, I really do. There's still things that I'm not so sure that I can say around him because I'm not sure how he's going to take it. You know, you know what I mean by that? How do you overcome that? And the answer is, you keep investing. You keep spending time. You keep buying supper for him. There's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, there's everything right with that. Okay, I'm not griping about buying supper for him. If it gives me the opportunity to continue the investment in their lives, I'm happy to do it. Well, I'm, I'll accept it. Let's say it that way. Investment produces connected. It happened with Paul. It happens in our families. And it happens in church. You see, one of the great privileges we have, it's not just a privilege, it's also a responsibility. I've already talked about that a little bit. One of the great privileges we have as people is to gather in here and worship. But you know, one of the problems with that is that it's very easy to come wandering in and take your assigned seats. Well, we don't really have assigned seats, but you wouldn't know that week to week because most people sit in the same chairs week in, week out. That's fine. No problem with that. Okay? I'm just glad you're here, honestly. But it's easy to wander in, take your seat, go through the show, and go out. But that doesn't create connected you see, we have to do the investment part of that for us to be the connected community that we're talking about. In other words, back to our purpose statement, we can't encourage somebody that we have no relationship with. And so it argues for more than just wandering in and sitting to a worship service and leaving saying, okay, I've done my church thing. All right, I'm really concerned about this because in America today, we have this prevailing mentality that says, I am a consumer, and as a consumer, I have the right to expect what I want to be done. You know what that is? That's pride. That's what that is. 
And the consumer approach says, I'm going to come in and because I'm there, let me just expand it and say, and if I give my money in that offering plate, then by golly, I ought to get what I want. Well, like one of my friends says, I'd say good luck with that. Because the problem is, look at all the people around here. Every one of these people in this room, especially the fat, ugly preacher up there, likes what they like. And it may not be what each other likes. And so I'm, I'm shifting the paradigm for modern church here. It is not a place to come so that you can have a voice, so that you can get what you want. It is a place that says, now I'm back to that love series I preached a while back. It is a place that says, I will come in here and I will invest myself into you. And the consumer approach of our day is killing churches. And it'll kill this one if we give way to it. And Paul comes and he says, I'm orphaned without you. That is a deep level of connection. So that when I'm gone from you, even though face to face we're not there, my heart is still stuck with you over there. Paul says a lot more about it as we go through this, but let's let that resonate for us. Paul so gave of himself that when he was separated from them, it was like a piece of him was missing. How do you get that in church? Well, let me tell you one of the ways, because I just spent some time talking about how you don't get it. So here's how you do get it. You gotta spend time with each other. So, you know, Teresa was showing me down before church started, maybe during the music service, somewhere in there. Had to be during it because I was working ahead of time. Um, one of our Sunday school classes is having a party next Saturday. Okay? I'll tell you all where it is. We'll all show up and that'll sure enough blow their mind, won't it? Okay? That's one of the ways you do that, okay? You spend time with one another. But see, our world doesn't allow for that. And some of you sitting out there, I know this morning, because you got young children, and you are already booked solid in your daily schedule from now till Thanksgiving, aren't you? And so for us to start talking about, well, the church is going to do a fellowship here. Yesterday we had a work day, okay? Now, here's one of my problems, okay? I didn't grow up with a skill saw in my hand, okay? I don't know how to do that kind of stuff. So they always stick me with guys who think that way and they do that stuff naturally. So I'm walking around. I'm just the gopher. I'm the trash guy. When we have work day, I'll just take stuff to the trash because you don't want me cutting boards. Okay? You, you can't buy enough boards for me to get it right cutting them. I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm settled with that, all right? There's some things that I can do. Bluebell ice cream, I can do bluebell. Everybody's got to be good at something. But here's what happens. Have the opportunity in a work day like we had yesterday to do some stuff with guys that I don't hang around with every day. And so it builds a connection point there. We spend time together. We do stuff together. That's how you build community. That's how you build connectedness. That's how Paul did it with these people. That's how we do it here. It involves working in the ongoing ministries of the church. We have places where we need people to help us. We have a nominating committee that's still trying to put together workers for the coming Sunday school year. And we have empty spots in that. You want to get to know people around here? Plug in. We have a want of stuff that happens on Wednesday night. We still need 18 workers on last count. Okay? You want to get to know people around here? Plug in. 
And I know you're thinking, I hate children. Well, okay, work in the kitchen. One guy said this comment to me yesterday. You know those people that clean the kitchen after everybody eats on Wednesday nights? Man, those people are tight. And I'm thinking, that's awesome. I would encourage you, if you happen to be in your kind of, by your own choice, you're kind of on the periphery of involvement around here. Maybe the worship service is all you come to, and that's okay. I'd rather you come here than not come, okay? But I want to just challenge you. There is another level out there of investing yourself in people and pouring yourself in the lives of other people. And as we work together and as we do stuff together, it draws our hearts together and it just knits us together like this. I hear from time to time. By the way, you can tell I'm only going to get the one principle. I hear from time to time. People say, you know, I was, I was out six weeks and nobody knew that I was gone. Nobody called me or anything. You know what I say about that? First of all, I'm sorry that that happened. I'm sure that we didn't intentionally ignore you. By the way, nobody said that today, so I don't think somebody's sitting out here who's thinking it. But I hear it all the time, not just in our church and other churches. Here's what I normally want to say to that person. How invested were you in the lives of people in church before you were out six weeks for people to even know that you were missing? And most of the time, they're not invested at all. You can't expect people to miss you if they don't know you. And they can't know you until you become part of the family. I love this statement of purpose for us, this piece of it. Because we happen to live in a society that is increasingly drawing the world for individuals smaller and smaller. Most of us go to our homes and drive our cars into our garages and shut the door behind us. And then we go in and we live lives that are as small as we can keep them. And we go to the internet and we get everything we need. You know you weren't created for that. You, you do know that, right? That's, that's not the way God created us to be. God created us for a relationship. You remember that story in the Garden of Eden? Adam, God creates all of this stuff. And he drops it in Adam's lap, the original Boy moment. Yes, I got all of this stuff. And God looks at Adam. What does he say, ladies? There's something wrong with that boy. <laughs> Actually, the way it says it, all through the, the passage, God looks at what he creates on day one. He says, that's good. And then day two, he creates it. He says, that's good. And he gets to Adam. He goes, that's not good. No, it's really not right. That, that doesn't capture the Hebrew there. What he really said was, I'm not finished. And so he creates Eve. And then he said, that's awesome. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. The Hebrew at that point, God says, that's incredibly awesome. Look what I did. And Eve's going, yes. And Adam's going, Yes. And he creates us for relationship, first with him and next with each other. And we have so many people going through life by themselves, some of them by design, some of them because some of the meanest 
people on the face of the planet are Christians. And they've just gotten burned by Christian people. So they just go it alone. Let me tell you something. There's a passage here. This is not, this was in my conclusion. I got almost through a quarter of a page. Let me go to the end. Look at chapter 2 and verse 18. Paul says, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Last two slides, Spencer. Make no mistake. Satan works to destroy community and God's people. I'm amazed that Paul would say this because Paul is the king of spiritual warfare and we, we hunker down in the strength and the place of who we are as Christian people in Christ. And Paul says, I was hindered by the devil himself for being able to get back to you. Satan works against community and God's people. And some of Satan's best community-busting tools are Christian people. So what do you do with all of this? Wouldn't it be great if we could track the reputation that Crestwood Baptist Church has in this area? Wouldn't it be really good if we could get out there and see what people who are not part of this church think about us? And say about us. <laughs> if you're smart, you're going, I don't know if we really want to do that. Okay? I'm not sure that any church really wants to do that. So let me bring it back to this. If we get our purpose right, especially on this fifth point, then the people out there are going to go, you know, I don't know what it is about those people, but there's something going on there, and it's pretty cool. And those are some of the most loving, caring people in town. I wonder if that's true. Not of us, but of you. Because the reality is you're probably the only Crestwood person that most people in your circle knows. Let's pray. And so we come to it. And I wonder, as we come to the end of this, what it is that God would have you do about it. Invitation time is the time that we set aside, even though we don't always talk about it. It's the time that we set aside to try to give you just a few moments of quiet reflection with God about what's happened inside these walls in the last hour or so. Because you know as well as I do, when you walk out the doors, then you're going to get assaulted with real living again. And so we give you the opportunity in this invitation time to respond to what God is saying to you and to do with it what you should. If that means that you, you know, I've talked about the cause of Christ and the opportunity we have. You saw these two young men today who made their statement that they have been changed in a new life in Jesus Christ. Maybe that's what you need to do today. You came in here and you realized that you're alone in life. This is not one of those weird kind of things. I'm not trying to beat you down the aisle or anything like that. But if you're in here and you don't know who Jesus Christ is, you're the orphan. Your heavenly Father invites you home. 
So this time that we have might be a good time for you to respond to that invitation. If you don't know what that means or how to do it, that's why I'll be down front. Aaron and I down here will talk to you, pray with you. People in our church love to do that. You need to know Jesus Christ. That's where you start. Maybe God's telling you, this church needs you to be part of the fellowship here. You need to join this church and help make it accomplish its purpose, especially at building community. If that's the case, come on down. We'd love to talk to you. Let you be part of the fellowship here in a formal way. Maybe you've heard this and you realize that you really are a major tool for Satan. Tearing people down, not just with what you say, but the way you think and the way you respond. Instead of building community, you recognize that you've been tearing it up. I would encourage you to get with God about that. Turn. Change your ways. Whatever it is, every one of us has a decision to make when Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit work through his word to talk to us. We must choose how we respond. So let's stand together and sing. Father, use this time for your glory in Jesus' name.